Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another fun episode of Why Bother with your host, John Sabluski, the podcast that didn't need to be made by the host who really didn't want to make it. Today, I am joined by the ever-talented and very lovely Teresa Quinn, who is not only a fascinating person for her day-to-day life, but for everything that she's accomplished and brought to the community. So without further ado, I would love to introduce to you my guest today, Teresa. Quinn. Hi, Teresa. How are you doing today? I'm great, John. I am so happy that you have taken a few moments out of your busy life uh, to speak with me today. <laughs> Not so busy. <laughs> so uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about how you and I uh, know each other. Um, and it's, it's, it's kind of an interesting story. Uh, and we're going to say it's interesting, even though I just asked you to teach me how to do something. Um, but uh, but so I want to say it's been two years that I've known you now, mm-hmm. and um, it all started because I got hired as a great pretender uh, to play keyboard in a musical at uh, at Kenmore East High School. And I remember the week after that show, I called you and I said, wow, that show really kicked my butt. I need <laughs> some help in getting these skills together. And luckily you said, I'm up for the challenge. So. <laughs> and I live to tell about it. <laughs> and you live to tell about it, which is says so much at either how good of a teacher you are or how bad of a piano player I am. So which whichever it takes. But uh, but no, so it's it's been fun. And on and off for the last two years, I've come to to get your assistance when uh, I've gotten a piece of music that. Uh, oh, I don't know what they were thinking when they wrote it. So. Yeah. <laughs> So, Teresa, why don't we start talking a little bit about who you are, uh, what you do, and how you got to be where you are today? Um, well, I, <laughs> we, we don't have that much time. But uh, so basically, I am um, a musician that does a lot of things, and I make my living um, in a mix of things. I, I have a church job. I'm the music director at Lafayette Avenue Presbyterian Church. And I work in professional theater, and I own a dog. Um, I work in professional theater. um, So I work uh, quite a bit for Musical Fair Theater um, in Amherst, in Snyder, New York. And um, I work as a gigging musician, and I compose here and there and do some arranging. And um, I just try to make a living as a a music teacher and a professional uh, musician. That's fantastic. And and you know what? I have to tell everybody listening, and I have not been endorsed to say this whatsoever, but Teresa is able to really make you feel that you have some sort of skill when you go to get a lesson <laughs> from her, where you're not just a complete and utter disgrace to the profession. So yeah. she she is awesome. And, and I've always felt very comfortable when I've come in and asked for your assistance and uh, gotten a lesson. So thank you. And I hope at the end of this interview, everybody uh, who's ever thought about playing piano piano signs up and does it. All right. <laughs> so you've, you've, you've lived, and I've known this because we've talked about it, but you've lived in different uh, areas of the country uh, mm-hmm. throughout your life. And uh, music has been a very big part of those areas that you've lived in. So could you talk a little bit about the different places you've lived and how music really is uh, a huge part of uh, those communities? 
Mm-hmm. Well, I grew up in Buffalo. I grew up outside of Buffalo. I went, um, grew up in the town of Wales and went to Iroquois, which had some really wonderful music teachers who were, um, there were actually quite a few musicians who, um, professional musicians who grew up in that system and were inspired by the teachers there. Um, I went to school um, at Indiana University and moved back to Buffalo for a while. And then I lived in Nashville, Tennessee. Then I moved to New York City and then moved back to Buffalo. So out of all those places, um, well, when I went to school in Indiana, um, we would uh, we would go drive up to Chicago and and try to sit in places and and um, try to hear music as much as we could there. And let's see, when I lived in Nashville, obviously there's a a very big music scene and a lot of live music, so that almost every night um, you could uh, you could go out every night you can go out mm-hmm. and see live music in in Nashville. And I had the uh, distinct advantage of being a house band. Um, being in a house band uh, and having met a lot of musicians through through that system where people would come in and sit in. Mm-hmm. And so I met a lot of musicians and uh, had an opportunity to work as a songwriter for a super small publishing company there. Um, so met a lot of people and learned a lot of styles of music. Um, let's see, then moved back to Buffalo and uh, worked uh, in, in a bunch of different places and started working in musical theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, and well, actually, I'm sorry, I'm getting this all out of order. Uh, back to <laughs> Buffalo, then Nashville, then I moved to New York City and um, gigged with a very large, very Italian wedding band on weekends, which is a whole nother funny little story. And then moved back to Buffalo and have been just doing a little bit of everything since. The, but New York City is different in, mm-hmm. um, you know, when the square footage is much more expensive, the chances of having live music are a little less possible in, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, restaurants don't want to give up that table space. So um, gigging in New York City is a, a very different situation, obviously, than it mm-hmm. is in Nashville. Mm-hmm. So when you, uh, as you're traveling and you're talking about these different avenues of, of music, has was there one community that really stuck out to you that said, you know what? I just love being a part of this. This is the best music scene. I love everything about it. Uh, which one of those would you say was probably the most influential to you? Oh, I think Buffalo would have to be just because there is um, there's a pretty good amount. Hopefully it will return to that. There's a pretty good amount of live music. Um, mm-hmm. It's a situation that when I feel like I, I want a gig and I get on the phone and start booking things, it's pretty easy to to find venues. Um, there's an advantage in that I play a bunch of styles of music, so um, that that's makes things a little easier for me. Mm-hmm. And I play with a bunch of um, wonderful sets of musicians, so there's always those avenues, and there's just a lot of them here. And then, of course, the theater scene is is pretty great. There's a there are twenty some theater companies in this town, mm-hmm. so there's always a chance to play in that setting. Yeah, so it, that's really cool. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about this in a minute because you first brought up theater and you brought up uh, regular, you know, other concert gigs, and mm-hmm. uh, I want to touch on that a little later on in this interview, but before we get all there, so you're traveling and I know you play numerous instruments uh, just because I've 
you know, talk to you about it. But what was, was piano your first instrument? Was that what you yeah. started with? Yeah. Yeah. I was five years old and someone gave my parents some electric keyboard and it was all color coded. In fact, yep. it took a little while for me to realize that music wasn't really um, organized in colors. <laughs> what a shock that was. Right. <laughs> so then I, I, um, I basically just wore that keyboard out and my mom, there was a piano in the family that maybe, I think my mom grew up with it. And then that ended up in our household. And I just really drove my parents crazy. I think basically they ended up getting me piano lessons because they were so tired of hearing the same pieces all over. <laughs> like, oh my God, we got to change up this repertoire. <laughs> so can, can you remember one of those songs that you played to death? Uh, a hundred and hundred times. Some song books. Yeah, there were, there were like these these like pop versions of things with the notes that um, had the names of the notes inside of yep. them, and <laughs> there was like um, Alfie. Uh, you know, what's it all about, Alfie? That that tune, which um, you know was in this song book, and so there were all the and raindrops keep falling on my head. It, it, right. It was, it was the sixties and seventies. So, you know, it was those kind of tunes you know, and I, I think they needed some change. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny. So I started uh, piano lessons in eighth grade. I got three lessons from my band teacher cause I started at saxophone and, uh, and, and I'll never forget this. He said, uh, he said, you're going to learn this book. Uh, and I, I took it home and I, I worked on it, worked on it, worked on it. And then I said, I really want to play this one song to impress this girl in eighth grade. <laughs> really, it was just about a girl. It was, I, I, I realized that throughout my life, uh, just trying to impress uh, the female sex has mm -hmm. been the reason why I've done much of anything. I think um, that's really the grand motivation mating force for most <laughs> um, guitar bands, you know, that, yeah. the, 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 uh, you know, most rock bands was really to impress a chick. So. Oh yeah. I mean, because, because who wouldn't want to say, yeah, I do this, you know, oh my goodness. But that, that's great. So, so you started with piano. Now, when you move on to another instrument, were you self-taught? Did you take lessons? How did you, how did you do that? Um, Yes. Uh, I, let's see. When I learned to play the guitar, when I moved to Nashville, I realized that when you went to songwriting sessions, there was no piano there. So I had to learn to play the guitar. Um, but when you start as a pianist, the interesting thing is the piano is, is very, very visual. And once you understand chords, then I, um, I looked up on, online or through a book or something. I don't really even quite recall and just figured out how to play the guitar that way. But I'm really just a fence painter. I'm, uh, it, it, that's what they call it in Nashville, where you just, <laughs> you know, you just uh, strum chords. So Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. But obviously being a, a pianist and understanding music made that a lot easier. So you said that there, when you would go to a, like a, a session or something, there wouldn't be a piano. What was the mm -hmm. reason behind that? Is that we just didn't have space for it or that people didn't really write on those, that well, I think there are a lot of guitar players, and I think um, I wasn't particularly writing country music per se, but um, I think it's just uh, the the guys that I sat down and wrote with were guitar players, and you know it wasn't a situation where you know I would have to bring a keyboard in. Sometimes I would if I felt like I just. Um, didn't have enough ideas. Sometimes when you're a pianist, obviously sitting down and writing at the piano was, was something that was a little more innate to me. Mm -hmm. So that, that seemed a lot more comfortable, but it just, I, I think it's just not a lot of songwriters in Nashville. They just, they just write on the guitar. And so, um, but that's good though. I mean, it, it 
taught me a lot about um, how guitar players were comfortable. I think mm -hmm. when you spend time with musicians, you know, when you learn to arrange for, for saxophone and guitar, you figure out what, what works best for them. And um, very often when I've had to arrange things at musical fair, we, mm -hmm. we have this distinct um, possibility at musical fair, because there's just so many talented musicians in this town mm -hmm. that we have done a couple shows where the cast has been on stage and have been all musicians. And I've been hired to arrange shows for, um, folks. So what I do is I just spend a little time with them and figure out mm -hmm. what they're comfortable with and literally write to spec for them. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, so that it, learning a little bit about the guitar was helpful in those situations. Very cool. And you know, the guitar, saxophone, all those, all those instruments that you talk about, it, it, there's something about a saxophone, man, you know, like, it's just like, <laughs> oh yeah you know seeing bill clinton blown away on a totally <laughs> worked for him didn't it? <laughs> you know I, I i so when i was in school i i took alto um and then i got to uh, alto saxophone and then high school came around and they needed tenor saxophones and my high school band teacher said you know you should really man up and play the man version so i said okay great so i did the, <laughs> i did the tenor i said are there are there girls that like this too like you know i piano you know um and then and then he gave me the uh, baritone saxophone and i said i am not carrying this onto the bus so <laughs> We're so done. that determines whether you play the baritone saxophone. And by the way, the um, instruments do not have genders. I just want to point that out. They <laughs> do not. And I'm going to tell you, I don't know if that so-and-so is working anymore. Anyway, so the point is, <laughs> you live and learn. So uh, saxophone, all that. So you talk a little bit about arranging. Now, a few years ago, Musical Fair uh, had an original musical uh, a Christmas show, Christmas Over the Tavern, which mm -hmm. is based on the play Over the Tavern by Buffalo's own Tom uh, Dudzik. So can you talk a little bit about that process and taking uh, somebody's uh, written work and then orchestrating it for a small, was it a four or five piece band? That um, yeah, it was, it was a four or five piece. Uh, yeah, it's four pieces. Yeah. Four pieces. Um, yeah. Well, that's an interesting situation because that's, um, Tom came to us with a piano score. Mm -hmm. And um, so I had to really just orchestrate out a piano score. And it was interesting too, because um, when I played the show the first time that it was done in musical fair, uh, you know, I did, I kind of played the score like a pianist would play the score. And so I wrote the parts to halfway walk between what, um, what was written and given to me in a score that I needed to stay true to mm -hmm. and the things that I, I knew um, needed to go into the score. So it was an interesting process because that's different than when um, you're creating um, a score completely by yourself. You know, you're, you're creating the score as a pianist. Mm -hmm. So starting from somebody else's piano score that aren't the things that you would innately play, that, that was an interesting process. So then um, I scored it out for bass um, and uh, in theater, we tend to have what are called utility players. Um, you know, these are folks who can play uh, an array of woodwinds. Um, you know, Jimmy Renfola comes to mind, who's a great saxophone player um, and plays the clarinet very well and the flute very well that, you know, we've used a lot of union musicians. Mm -hmm. So you tend to hire these folks who can add all sorts of color mm -hmm. to a score and then, um, 
uh, Peggy Scalza helped me write out the drum score because the funny thing is that usually with drummers, you can just say, okay, this is the, the kind of the feel that I need. But when it's not someone, you know, you're going to, mm-hmm. future drummers are going to be playing the score. Sure. And I generally know what, what drum scores look like, but you know, you have to, drummers need to have a real drum score. So, um, Peggy helped me with that. That's so neat, you know, to think about the process. Now, I uh, obviously uh, I've just started my career as a pit musician uh, for these these high school. Uh, you know, I'll say it again: I'm a great pretender. Um, but <laughs> we all are too. <laughs> but I, I've found that some of the older shows. Uh, you'll you'll get a you know you get this book of music and mm-hmm. the music director will just say okay you uh, we're gonna you're gonna get it like a sometimes you get a month out if you're lucky and they're like and hey, we're gonna start uh, like two weeks before we open and we'll have mm-hmm. maybe two rehearsals before the cast comes in or whatever. Yeah, if, it's quite a process. If you're lucky. Yeah. So I found that sometimes you get this score from this publishing house that's handwritten and mm-hmm. you can barely read what it is and. You would think that with technology, they could just hire an intern uh, to fix this for us. But why do you think that we're not getting updated music that's easier for the musician to read with all this technology? Well, I think to a certain extent, you know, once a show is licensed and it's out there, you know, there's and it's and it's being performed. I don't know if there's a, a a grand impetus to spend the money to have it rescored or anything like mm-hmm. that. When with newer shows, it's it's interesting. Um, you know, we at Musical Fair did uh, Fun Home, mm-hmm. and right after we were the the, the first uh, regional theater to do it, um, so it was a relatively um, newer score. And it had been out on the national tour, but we were one of the, the first the theaters. And there's, you know, there's going to be mistakes in scores. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, I, I assume houses now, you know, I, I keep an errata sheet and very often send them to let people know, oh, that, there's a legal term, sorry about that. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's the idea that you, you let them know what the, the mistakes in the score are mm-hmm. so that they can fix them. Um, and electronically, it's so much easier to do that now. You yeah. know, I'm, I'm sure there's going to be mistakes in the scores that I did for Christmas Over the Tavern. And music directors should let le, the publishing house, uh, you know, let them know so they can fix those scores because they, they have the, the, um, the basics for them so they, they can change them. So then nowadays you can get much clearer scores. Mm-hmm. But as you're alluding to, there's – so if we do – Musical Fair, we just don't have a ton of space backstage. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're all union musicians, so um, you, you just can't have – uh, you know, 40 people in an orchestra. So very often uh, Jimmy and I will sit down and look at the the woodwind scores and pick and choose out of things. You know, if it's, if theoretically there were supposed to be three or four utility players or read players, we'll go through and find the things in the array of scores of the, the things that we really like. Mm-hmm. And I really feel like we need. Mm-hmm. So you try to get the most bang up for your buck out of uh, the musicians that you've hired and are paying for each one of those shows. Plus it's pretty tight back there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and I actually, I think I have a picture of uh, uh, an orchestra. I think this might be for uh musical fair. So let me just pull yes, this up. Yeah, yeah. It is small. Um, and you know, it, it's not like, it's not like a touring house where you have this, uh, <laughs> this huge, uh, you know, huge, um, 
space. There, there's a lot going on here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And we literally have to climb over things to get into those positions you're seeing. And, you know, Peggy, the, Peggy Sells is right there in the, 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 the closest in the picture. You know, she's like right next to me. I can make <laughs> eye contact with all the musicians. So I'm standing, I, you can see I have two keyboards there and I'm mm-hmm. standing and literally can whisper to the musicians and cue them by just looking at them. Um, because obviously I'm conducting from the keyboard. So my hands are busy. Mm-hmm. And so eye contact is really important. And it, it's actually really great to have um, us all right on top of each other because then um, we can hear each other really well. When we did 710, uh, we did Fun Home at 710, mm-hmm. uh, we were on stage and the musicians, Peggy was really quite a distance from me. And so then I really had to conduct and and make sure she could see my hand give her the downbeat. So in a lot of ways, that's a lot harder work when we're not really close. But yeah. trust me, we are right on top of each other. <laughs> and so th- that was a picture from um, Violet, uh, Larry Alberts, a guitar player, um, uh, Dave Siegfried is the bass player who's in the center. Mm-hmm. And that's Joe Donahue, who's yep. um, over on the right, and Peggy Scalza on the bottom. That is fun. You know, it's it's really neat to see. Uh, you know, sometimes when uh, I, I see a show at Shays or something that I've seen already, you know, mm-hmm. so it, it happens like wicked 47 times. I mean, I'm, <laughs> you know, we got to see it again, you know, because mm-hmm. it, we might have missed, you know, the way that Alphabet, you know, flew or so. I don't know. Uh, sometimes I'll, I'll, folk, I'll, I'll look down. Uh, at the orchestra during the um, during the intermission, or if you're, I remember this one time I, I saw a Book of Mormon in uh, in Rochester, and I was sitting in the front row because it was like a lottery or something. And definitely, I would never buy tickets for the front row because it's like the the movie theater that scene in Seinfeld where Elaine and Jerry are just like on their back <laughs> looking looking up at the screen. But uh, I I just remember, and this is so interesting because. Uh, we're, I think in, in musicals right now, we're, we almost are losing instrumentation a little bit to computers and to, and to keyboards. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in the book of Mormon, there's all these trumpets, like in, in the recording, you'll hear these trumpets in the show, you hear these trumpets and we were sitting there and I said, there's something about this trumpet. It sounds flat. It, there's something really strange about it. So I just asked the conductor at intermission. He said, oh yeah, we don't have any brass down here at all mm-hmm. and i said but i hear he's like oh yeah it's it's all the patches so i was like you know you couldn't get one trumpet player <laughs> like- <laughs> well maybe the theory was that if it was it was a little bit off key people would think it was a live musician but i'll tell you the live musicians in this town are great they wouldn't play off key <laughs> not at all not a- and i'm like you not not one <laughs> and, and well you 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 work that out over all the stops along a national tour that's you know it's a lot of money but you know there are there's there are houses um you know when you see shows at shays that there are a lot of local musicians mm-hmm. that get hired just locally to play those and mm-hmm. they're great players and they're they're folks that i work with at musical fair and um and it's it's wonderful to hear and you can tell the difference when it's mm-hmm. live musicians. The funny thing is when you look at that photo, um, you can see there's a tiny, tiny little screen that um, is right in front of me. And that's all we see of the stage. Uh, now, since this point, we've gotten a better screen. This is like <laughs> a 1980s, uh, you know, like computer screen. But it was great about it is that when it would go black on stage, I mm-hmm. could see the stage. It would, it would like flip 
things uh-huh. that are white or black, or, and and um, but I could see when uh, the actors were in place. But mm-hmm. that's all we ever see at shows. I, I I often laugh when I get to actually go see theater and like, oh, this is what lighting and costumes <laughs> look like. These people, you know, running from either side of us. Uh, the musicians were kind of in the middle, and there's the the wing space on either side, and you see these people fly by, and I never actually get to see Carrie Droz's beautiful costumes. I never get to see <laughs> Susan Droz's beautiful wigs because these people are a blur past me, and then. Uh, you know, I don't really ever get to see the shows. Sure, sure. It, it, it's different. You know, I mean, you, you might play uh, a show, I don't know, 12, 15, 16 times or, you know, however long the run happens. Oh, to be. man, a musical fair, we do six shows a week. Six, six shows. Weeks, yeah. yeah. So, okay. So my math was a little off, but you know, it's <laughs> a lot of shows. A, a lot of shows. And, and I, I've, no, I've noticed this. So I, I usually get hired to play like a high school show that's usually maybe three or four performances. Mm-hmm. I, I tell you, usually after the fourth performance, like I am done with this show. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like, 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 uh, so how do you, as a musician that, you know, there's really not necessarily too much room for freedom, uh, in a mm. musical because, you know, you have to hit that cue, uh, you, you gotta, you gotta hit that mark and people are expecting some, you know, the actors have learned to understand a, a, a certain sound or cue ses- mm-hmm. system. So how do you make it so that you don't want to just, uh, you know, walk into the ocean? <laughs> Well, I I actually, I love, I love playing six shows a week, but it it really just also, it depends on the show, but our job is to be as absolutely consistent as possible. But I hate to say it, but actors have been known to skip some measures and things (laughs) happen on stage. And um, I mean, we're pretty fortunate at Musical Fair that we have tons of runs before a show opens, but Mm -hmm. so to kind of get all those quirks, but um, it's, it's about living in the moment. So you're constantly trying to listen, 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 um, to, to live in the moment and to keep that ensemble together. And so really once a show starts, I, I'm not bored. Um, there are a couple mm. shows that if they're not musically demanding, then I can, you know, sometimes, you know, uh, get a crossword in or something, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> or do a little legal work or something, but, um, <laughs> But mostly it's it's really about just trying to be as consistent as possible. And, you know, musicals, some of the, the shows we've done, you know, I, I think of shows like Sweeney Todd, mm-hmm. um, another one of my favorite shows to ever play that I could play every day until I die would be um, In the Heights. Mm-hmm. Shows like that that are musically demanding, um, you just can't wait to show up and play it again. And, mm-hmm. and you know, Fun Home was definitely – a show that I could play every day until I die. Um, well, it would in, have to be into, fun because it's in the title, right? <laughs> and in a lot of ways, that is a tough show for yeah. <laughs> so many other reasons. That was a show, um, you know, I, I, there was a moment, there were a couple moments in that show that I never, ever got through without losing it. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I had posted something on social media afterwards about I never got through Michelle Benzen's tune, the mother's tune, um, without crying and people in the, in the, in the cast, including Michelle and, um, in the orchestra said the same thing. I mean, there we're, we're living in the moment as much as the actors are and as mm-hmm. much as the audience are living in it and experiencing it. And man, it would give me every flipping time. <laughs> oh my God. Well, that, yeah. that just is a testament to how vested you are as a, a musician and how, 
important the musicians are to forwarding the story. I mean, I, I think that sometimes people forget that just because there may be 20 people on stage, sometimes, you know, some of these shows have maybe five, six people that are playing the music, sometimes more. Um, and then there's people backstage doing it. So it's, it's a huge effort. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And, and it's, it's really not just, you know, we're just not focusing on the people singing and dancing. I mean, there's a lot of work that's happening uh, throughout that entire thing. You know. Yeah. And the stage managers and the house folks and the sound folks and the lighting. And there's just, there's just an awful lot um, going on. I have a kitten that just, <laughs> just will not leave my old cat alone. They're like, You're wondering where in the world's going on in my house. Uh, <laughs> I realize this happens now to people. When <laughs> oh, Zoom meetings. It's a new normal. You know, it's it's the new normal. So we're, you know, we, we're, we're talking about this, you know, orchestra. Maybe people understand. I, I, you always see people walk down. Uh, if you're able to see the orchestra and look at what's going on down there. I think that there's a, a an inherent fascination about that. But does it ever surprise you that you're able to have, I don't know, let's just say, let's just make it an even number. Let's say 75 people. That's an odd number. But let's just say 75 people uh, working together on any given time to make a show happen. And somehow or other, all 75 people are able to work together so that a cue isn't missed, so that the music starts, so that the lights go up. It's just fascinating that that is something that we as human beings as flawed as we are, are able to manage. It's, it's, it's fascinating. Well, you know, and it's interesting too, when you're a pianist and you grow up um, practicing alone, I think that's one of the reasons why I so enjoy working in theater is that I spend so much time alone and you, you walk onto stage in a, in a recital and you're alone. And I love that ensemble work. And, you, you know, you as a saxophone player, you grew up playing in a band mm -hmm. and unless you were... Um, I, I accompanied, did a lot of accompanying when I was um, in high school and college, and I just enjoyed the, the, the ensemble effort of it all. Well, theater is the ultimate ensemble effort, you know, for everyone who has their niche of talent. Um, and you know, I know people, they see the performers and that's what they view theater is. But when I see theater in my mind, I see all the folks that, that add to every production and I, you know, that's what I, I always think of with theater folks. Yeah. I always think the folks that I'm, I'm dealing with in, you know, in, in production meetings. And I love that, that ensemble nature of it. And I can appreciate solo playing and, you know, I do it to a certain extent, but man, there's just nothing like, nothing Work, like theater. Yeah. Working, working with it. And it, it's every performance is going to be different, no matter how, uh, how together it is, you know, it, it it's great, you know, and, and, I, I definitely love it. And, you know, as a, as a teacher and you're a teacher as well, but it's something about seeing people that you've worked with, you know, so now I don't necessarily teach theater at school. Right. But mm -hmm. I've, I work with, I, and as an art teacher, you'd think I'd be doing more with the set, but I always get asked to play in the pit. I don't, <laughs> uh, I guess they just go you can into, do both. I can do both. Yeah. <laughs> painting and playing at one time. You know? But uh, it's, it's, I just know that I get a huge appreciation when, that opening night, the curtain calls going, mm. the kids are getting the applause. And, mm. you know, you, even though you didn't directly, you know, see it, but you see someone that you were there with through that whole time succeed. It's, it's, it's a really cool 
uh, really cool thing. So I, See, I, I, I enjoy that about teaching piano too. I, I teach piano and voice and it's, you know, watching kids over the, you know, their first recital and setting up, you know, trying to get them ready for that first recital. And oh, I'm just so proud watching that process. And yeah, and you must feel that too. I mean, it's, it's tough for the musicians too, because they're, they're hired, you know, they're not really part of that whole rehearsal process. Yeah. They're hired in tech week. And, um, and you can see, I'm sure as a musician hired in the tech week, the, the improvement over the course of the week before it opens and <laughs> yes. man, sometimes you're not too sure it's going to come together. I, I, I played a show uh, a year and a half ago and we had to vamp this entrance and I don't know what was going on, but backstage <laughs> every night, it was like a four minute vamp. I'm like, what are we doing here? And, uh, and, and I, I thought about that too. I was like, you know, <laughs> it doesn't matter what you do. Humans are also humans. <laughs> and this is why you can't have recordings for the <laughs> for musicals because things happen as they say. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> so let's, let's talk about um, you as a, a musical director or a music director for a musical. Um, so do you remember the first show you ever music directed? Oh gosh. Um, well, I, for years when I taught, um, in high school, I taught at um, Mount St. Mary and the Buffalo Seminary, and I taught for a little bit at Cardinal Hera. Mm -hmm. I had worked with kids getting, uh, obviously playing the musical and, and music directing. But my first professional show um, I did for uh, BUA, it was a very um, successful production of A My Name is Alice. Hmm. And I got the gig because um, Michael Hake, uh, who was a music director that I, I went to high school with Michael, um, he had referred me to the gig because they needed a female music director. And I was on stage for the show and it was a, it was a, a show of vignettes. Uh, mm -hmm. about women. Mm -hmm. And so they needed a female music director. And then I had worked with Michael Hake and played um, second keyboard for um, a lot of shows at Musical Fair before I uh, left for Nashville. So uh, those were my first professional shows. And mm -hmm. it's um, I was helping Randy clean out his basement and I found um, the canceled checks for those first couple shows I played for him uh, in, in musical fair in the, the early 1990s. I think it's okay to get rid of those now. I, I think I think the money has changed the accounts. Uh, I was very happy to see that my signature had remained the same. When oh, I saw where I endorsed. <laughs> the only thing in my life that's been consistent. Oh, the signature. Yeah, I, I, yeah, that, that's great. So, so you've done that now. Uh, I like to when I play a show, I usually do keyboard two or three. It's never mm -hmm. I never play the 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 big part because you know that's for the good people. So, <laughs> I uh, <laughs> thank you for laughing at these terrible jokes. Um, so I know we've actually, you and I have sifted through some second piano parts on a lot of things. And sometimes it's much harder to play the second piano part because you, it isn't really related to everything it accompanies. So I know yes. exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I find it so fascinating. So I've played leader of the pack, which was so much fun to play. Mm -hmm. And it actually doubled a lot of the normal piano part. Um, and then I've played shows like uh, she loves me where I don't know why I'm playing what I'm playing. Like, what is this? What is this? 
why why do we have this random gliss in the middle of nothing happening? Mm -hmm. I'm not mm -hmm. sure. Yeah, you're just you're just seeing one <laughs> little piece of that much larger. Puzzle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's really interesting. So, um, oh, that, and then you have like shows like Little Shop, which the main piano part is a hundred times easier than whatever they gave you in this keyboard. Yeah, it's the repeated eight notes <laughs> and the, yeah. Yeah, that kind of fifties piano thing. Yeah. yeah so, but it, it's really, really, really neat. Uh, and now I've completely lost my oh. Yes. So I talked to these piano players and I asked them, what was the most challenging show you ever had to play? And I'm always surprised that this is the answer I always get. What is it? Susical. Oh, okay. So I don't know why, mm -hmm. but I've heard that from like four piano players that Susical is the most challenging. Mm. I... I haven't played the show, so I can't mm -hmm. tell you, but I find sometimes the most challenging are shows where they're, um, they're arranged for big band and mm -hmm. you're, you're playing a reduction that is a big band. And the things that come to mind are um, City of Angels. Mm -hmm. um, I just recently played Elf and that was, um, Elf was written for a very large orchestra where I'm, I was playing a reduction. Mm -hmm. um, let's see what i uh, we did a couple of years ago a very funny piece that I wish more people had seen because I thought it was great. It was called Adrift in Macau. Oh and yes, yeah, I loved I reviewed that show. that show for you guys. <laughs> I loved, I loved that it. Show. <laughs> <laughs> the cast was wonderful, and uh, the and the the music was just. We as the musicians just loved it, and we had we had a lot of fun with it. So, mm -hmm. but that was another show where it was um, as a pianist. I was, I'm playing a reduction. Uh, <sighs> But probably the most demanding show for for musicians might be might be Sweeney Todd. I I, I mentioned earlier um, mm -hmm. in the Heights because uh, Lin Manuel Miranda had on purpose made sure that every different style of Latin music was represented in the Heights. And as a pianist playing those Latin octaves, is just so much fun. But a pretty challenging score. Sure. Sure. So that's interesting, you know, and, and in the Heights, I remember seeing that at musical fair and that was phenomenal. And, uh, that, that was actually the first time that I had ever been introduced to Lin-Manuel because, mm -hmm. uh, I, you know, I mean, he, he had written that and that he, he did very well with, and then obviously he would go on to do a Hamilton and then now movie music uh, for Disney. So mm -hmm. he's definitely taken off. Uh, and, and that's so <laughs> I got, got a big future. He's got a big, you know, <laughs> I sure hope that this musical career of his lasts, mm, you know, mm. <laughs> it's, it's right up there with, I sure hope Paul McCartney still has what it takes. You know, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's hard. Well, we're looking forward to it. There's was an opportunity to do um, in the Heights again. And hopefully after all of this is over, we'll have a chance uh, to do that show again because oh, man, it is just a fun show to play. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it was fun for the audience too to be mm. to, to see with that. So let's talk a little bit about uh, these pictures that you've submitted with us today. <laughs> and now you said earlier, not only do you do theater, but you also have a whole bunch of. At any given week, I feel like I could, you know, before uh, pre-COVID, I could see Teresa playing or talking about like thirty-seven concerts in a Saturday. So it's amazing how many that she's done. So let's let's talk a little bit about what we have here. Um, and uh, blah, 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 blah. here it goes. Okay, sorry. <laughs> so, so what, what's happening here? Oh, okay. So this is um, I. I have a 
a group that's very, very flexible. And we do a whole bunch of styles of music. And sometimes it's the Teresa Quinn trio. Sometimes it's a quartet. Sometimes it's eight of us, depending on what the gig is. So um, that's that's a, the tremendous uh, trombonist, Phil Sims, and Jim Baum. That's Nick Corallo, who are, we are common friends with. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, and you that can was, see. That was the eighth grade piano teacher, by the way. He said, <laughs> so what do you want to learn? <laughs> yeah, Nick is, Nick is a wonderful guy and a and a really great drummer and you can't see off to the to the right but you can see them in other pictures are uh two families two female singers that i often work with mm -hmm. um annie deck miller and stephanie Bax. so this was uh uh curtain up one year and you know outside and it's sometimes it's an outdoor gig and sometimes it's a really small bar and sometimes it's very large places Mm -hmm. So it, it, everything's interesting and um, all different styles of music. And you, it's, it's just great as a musician to be able to play all sorts yeah. of stuff. Yeah. What, what do we got going on here? <laughs> so we do kind of an Andrew sisters sort of uh, uh, thing here. And that's uh, Stephanie, Ann and I at the Naval park. And um, so you know, it, and obviously that's uh, kind of 40s music that we d we do in that gig. A lot of boogie woogie bugle boy. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's very heavily requested. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and this is Randy Kramer, who I am married to. And uh, this is our four hands uh, show called A Girl, A Guy, A Piano. So Musical Fair is this amazing cabaret space they built a couple years ago, and we developed this cabaret, um, which is four hands music and a real mix of styles. And a, um, it, it, it's something we've done a lot of times. We, we've done it in um, theaters in Florida. We recently did a live stream musical fair to just, it's been a real godsend. We've been doing um, the third Thursdays of the month, uh, a live stream series. And we mm -hmm. started the series doing um, this four hand show a girl, a guy, piano. So I've had an opportunity to do a lot of great, really um, wonderfully curated cabarets there. Like I did a night of, I, I love Randy Newman. Uh, mm -hmm. And so I did a night of all Randy Newman tunes. And that's something really specific and a, a real specific musical taste. Yeah. But in a cabaret space like that, you can curate this, these very specific cabarets. Oh, Randy Newman. I, I think I remember you posting on, on uh, Facebook about that. And, and uh, he wrote the theme song to Monk, and I absolutely <laughs> we loved. started the show with that. <laughs> it's a jungle out here. I love that song. And then uh, I love LA, which was written for the Naked Gun movie. Mm -hmm. So there you go. But he's uh, <laughs> and then you've got a friend in me, and I, I could go on forever. But he's he's fun. I I, I like uh, Randy. Well, Newman. and a little bit controversial too. So it was an interesting cabaret to do because. Um, I did some of the controversial tunes. He, he mm -hmm. wrote specifically with a view of two sides of a story and mm -hmm. one side and the controversial side of it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it, it was an unusual cabaret and only in places like that cabaret at musical fair, can you, um, can you do something that specific and perhaps a little controversial? Sure. Now this picture I'm about to put up looks like it is from maybe ring of fire. Ah, yeah. yeah. And, so this uh, is an example of one of these shows where all the musicians were on stage and um, it, there was no pit uh, band. Every Everything happened on stage. 
And this is, this is a really wonderful thing about Buffalo because there are just so many talent performers here that we can do something like this. And it was a very successful show. We did it both at Musical Fair and at Shea 710. Mm-hmm. And every, we all kind of switched up instruments. I played the guitar and the accordion and uh, various, uh, and the piano and uh, various percussion instruments every <laughs> once in a while. But you know, the cast was um, just tremendous musicians. And, and Ring of Fire, uh, if I remember correctly, actually it's all coming full circle because uh, Ring of Fire was born at Studio Arena mm-hmm. uh, in Buffalo. Uh, and right. then it went to Broadway uh, for, it wasn't a very long run. If I remember Mm-mm. correctly, it was, it was, it was like, if you, if you, if you blink, you missed it. Um, and then it did a little bit of retooling mm-hmm. and then it, uh, and then it was available for, um, for, uh, performance for, uh, regional theater companies. And then a musical fair did it. And then they remounted it back where it began at, the, <laughs> at, at 710. 710. Mm-hmm. So, wow. Talk about a full circle there, but that, that is a fun show. And I absolutely love, uh, the first time I was ever, um, ever introduced to the idea that actors could also be the musicians. I think, uh, in New York, they did a performance of Sweeney Todd. Sweeney Todd, yeah. And, yeah. and With then Patty LuPone. Yeah. Patty LuPone. Uh, and, and then uh, a few years later, they had done Company. I believe it was the same director had did that. And that was a phenomenal performance with the actors and the musicians. And I, I remember that uh, one of the things that is, is, is challenging because you can't really have your music in front of you while you're doing that because nobody wants to watch page turns. Um, (laughs) So that must be a lot because not only do you have to memorize the lines and your blocking, but now you have to memorize this music, which Mm -hmm. probably is not that simple to begin with. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's a lot going on there. Well, you know, you think of a show like once where Mm -hmm. um, it it was designed specifically uh, where everybody was meant to be the musicians on stage. And yeah, that, that's a show that has to be completely memorized. Yeah. But you know, it's a different type of rehearsal process when, um, especially for Ring of Fire, because um, there was no set cast where this person, a particular person, um, you know, plays the guitar or this person plays the fiddle. We, it, you know, we, it, there was a lot of um, figuring out who was going to play what. And mm-hmm. it, so it's a different type of rehearsal process. It's not like you have a score where one character is doing one thing, mm-hmm. but so, you know, that was directed by Michael Walling and he mm-hmm. was uh, a ring of fire was. And so mm-hmm. he was um, really good at piecing that all together. Sure. So when you get a show like that, where there's uh, uh, I don't know, maybe let's say 15, 20 musicians uh, and, how do you do, do they just give you a list of parts that say, okay, we need these 20 parts uh, and then we figure out where we go from there? Or do we say, okay, um, we're just going to start looking for uh, drummers and bass players and guitar players and piano players and hope for the best. Like what, what, what do we do there? Yeah. The, the, the casting process for shows like that are, you know, people come in and, you know, you, you ask them to list right on their resume, what instruments they play, and, you know, you look for the array of things, but you, you, you may need certain types, but really it is about, you know, the, I get this list of every instrument they play and we find a way to, to it is like a puzzle. You put mm-hmm. it all together and figure out, well, it, we could use fiddle here, we can use sax here. Um, mm-hmm. 
and uh, then of course we had to figure out you know where to hang them on stage so that we could grab them quickly. <laughs> that was a whole choreography in itself. So, sure. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's a really it's just such a different process than any typical show. But mm -hmm. it's it's part musical review. It's it's part choreography. It's it's <laughs> it's, it's, it's a process. It's a whole lot of stuff going on. But unfortunately, you probably didn't have any uh, you know uh, bass. Uh, uh, baritone saxophone players because they didn't want to put it on the bus. So. <laughs> well, yeah. In that case, if we could just find someplace to hang it, so that was hang the biggest it. problem for the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much. So, Teresa, if somebody wanted to take piano lessons or voice lessons with you, mm -hmm. how did they go about doing that? Well, they would just get in touch with me. So, um, on Facebook, I have a um, a page that is the Teresa Quinn Piano and Voice Studio. I also have a website that's TeresaQuinn.com, and you can just get a hold of me that way. And um, I, you know, you, if you want to see where I'm playing, it's listed on there. You, um, and you can also go to MusicalFair.com, and uh, hopefully, we have a new season that will be up and running soon. We're you know we're working very hard to to deal with the new rules of the game here. So. Mm -hmm. um, I can't really tell people exactly what it's going to look like, but we have another season coming up and we'll be there for the next 30 years. They just celebrated their 30 year anniversary. That's great. I'm, I'm going to be celebrating my 30 year anniversary in February. <laughs> 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 well, thank you very much for joining me today, Teresa. Why don't you just stick around for a second? I'll talk to you when we close off uh, today. Uh, I was very uh, lucky to have my, uh, my my piano mentor, uh, Teresa Quinn, join us today for a great episode of Why Bob. Um, I'm very, very happy that uh, she was able to join us today. Uh, please, if you enjoyed the show today, like and subscribe on to Why Bother on Facebook and on YouTube. Uh, this uh, We would like to say special thanks to this month's sponsor, Krutinger Puppets. And we are now available on Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, <gasps> and Anchor. I'm your host, John Sobleski, and this has been another episode of Why bother.